0: When I deliver sermons as your pastor, I know that I talk about growing up a lot, and uh, whether that's with anecdotes from my own childhood or with my young son's adventures of his own. I apologize if you're getting tired of those illustrations. It's pretty natural that I talk a fair amount about those things. I mean, I'm a young pastor, and most of my life consists in my developmental years as well. As, since I'm a young father, most of my free time consists of hanging out with my family, my son. So, But growing up, or watching kids grow up, can be a lot of fun. And uh, all of you who are parents know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. And this past week, my wife and I were thrilled to watch our 14th month old son, Peter, try to walk. He's got what I'd call the two-step lunge down. Basically, we hold him up and let him go, and he takes a couple wobbly steps before lunging his entire body at wherever he's going. It's a brilliant plan. It means that he'd rather face plant than to plop down on his rear end. (laughs) But usually he's lunging at one of us, trusting that we will catch him at the time. But every day of this stage is fun because he's developing so rapidly, learning new things every day. Growing up is truly an adventure, from infancy to toddlerhood to school years to the years of being a teenager or university, all the way to adulthood. Now, I'm going to give you a three-word statement that you might not think is very remarkable. You probably won't find this an amazing statement, at least at first. But we're going to meditate on these three words today. And I think that you'll find it a lot more incredible than when you first hear it. It really is remarkable. It's amazing. And its implications are extensive. Here's the statement. Okay? Jesus grew up. Jesus... Grew up. Okay? We're going to think about that phrase. As we continue our series through the Gospel of Luke, today we're going to focus on just one verse. And this one verse's main purpose is to describe how Jesus grew up. If you have your Bibles, please turn in them with me to Luke chapter 2, to the very end of the chapter, verse 52. If you have a pew Bible from in front of you, it's on page 858. This verse, Luke 52, 252 is a pretty well-known verse in the Bible. In fact, a few years ago, there was an entire lineup of Christian pop culture merchandise based on this verse. There was Bibles and books and clothing and everything in between, all with 252 emblazoned across them. But, I don't want you to skip over this verse or skim it out of familiarity. There's reasons we're going to study just this verse alone today. First, it stands apart from the stories both preceding and following it. So it's, it stands alone. Second, it covers 18 full years of Jesus' life, which means it covers over half of Jesus' entire lifetime. Third, it is full of interesting and important truths that I believe we need to think about and consider today. Before I read the verse, though, I'd like to pray, asking our Lord to come as the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us today. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray today as we read your word to us. That your spirit would come into this place, into each of our hearts. We know it already dwells among many of us. But I pray that it would come in power, and that it would teach us truth. That we would see what it meant to be the Son of God on earth. And that we would be drawn to our knees in amazement once again at the sacrifices that you have made for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To catch you up a little bit, when we last saw Jesus a couple weeks ago, he was a 12-year-old boy. And as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus knew that he was the Son of God. And so he wanted to be about God's business and God's house, which was the temple in Jerusalem. And the point of the story we saw, uh, the verses right before this, was that Jesus had a very special connection with his Father. And Jesus' top priority was to bring glory and honor to his father, Verse 52 is going to pick up where we left off with a summary of the rest of Jesus' development. The next year, Jesus would have gone through what we call the Bar Mitzvah, officially becoming a man, or at least a young man, in the eyes of the community. He would have gone through several years as a teenager, and then a young man. After that, he would have hit his 20s, with all the challenges of that stage of life. He would have hit his mid-twenties and then late-twenties, which is the stage I'm in now. We know that Jesus began his public ministry around the age of 30, which the following chapters will describe in great detail. But like I said earlier, this these chapters cover the, all 18 years of his life here, and I believe that this verse tells us all we need to know about these years. That's why it's in Scripture. These This verse functions as a bit of a signpost, looking back at where Jesus has been as a child and looking forward to what he became as a man. We saw a similar signpost back in verse 40 of chapter 2. It said, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. But that verse called him the child. Verse 52 is going to call him by his name. And that signifies an important stage of growth. He was no longer a child. He was seen as a full-grown man. Jesus. And here in verse 52, you can read along with me, it says this. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus, very, it's a very simple verse. We understand a lot of what it means right away. But Jesus, as a young man, developed in many normal ways that all humans do. This verse says that Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, in favor. The NIV says that Jesus grew in these ways. Now, the point of this verse is to to describe how Jesus grew up. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But this verse implies something else, which is downright incredible. And that is not how Jesus grew up, but that Jesus grew up. Let's think about that for a minute. Who do we believe Jesus was? The Son of God, right? And thus, 100% God himself, part of the Trinity, of the three-in-one Godhead. And as such, he was infinite, infinite transcendent, all-knowing, all-powerful. He was eternal, existing from eternity past. God never changes, and he never ages. Now, in Jesus, the nature of God never changed. However, Jesus was not only 100% God. We believe, and this verse makes it very clear, that Jesus was also 100% man. And as a man, Jesus did need to age and change. Jesus' human nature was not infinite or transcendent or all-knowing or all-powerful. His human nature had a physical beginning, a date of birth. It was not eternal. Now, I don't mean to make your head hurt. We don't understand exactly how this worked. We don't understand everything about the Incarnation, which means God becoming man. That's why it's an astounding mystery to us. We celebrate it every Christmas, and we meditate on these truths. But I don't want to confuse you either, because this theology is important to understand. You might think, though, that it sounds like I just contradicted myself. How could that be possible? How could Jesus be both... All knowing and not all knowing. How could Jesus be all powerful and not all powerful? How could he be eternal but with a beginning? Unchangeable and yet changeable. Ageless and yet aging. How is that possible? How could Jesus be the infinite God and yet increase in anything? At all, ever. Here's the key thing to understand. Jesus didn't cease being God. He didn't stop being God. But Jesus willingly and voluntarily limited his divine powers while he was on earth. Okay? Jesus did not cease being God, but he willingly and voluntarily limited his powers while on earth. This limiting himself is what is spoken of in Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. A very familiar verse to you it says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Or the NASB says, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus was all knowing, he was omniscient, as we say. But he limited that power. So practically, Jesus' human nature, as a human, he was not omniscient. He made himself nothing. Jesus was still all-powerful, as he demonstrated with many miracles. But his power was limited. He only used it at certain times. See, Jesus subjected the use of his divine powers to his Father's will. And the Father determined when and how he could use his divine powers and Jesus willingly submitted to that leading. Now, I hope I didn't lose any of you and I know that's all pretty deep but all I'm trying to say today is this that as a human Jesus did need to grow up. He needed to grow up mentally, physically, spiritually, socially and I find that crazy to think about. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. Jesus, the infinite Son of God, needed to increase, as we read here. So Jesus grew up. But let's get back to Luke's description of this growing up. How did Jesus grow up? What were these in-between years like? What was Jesus like as a man? And what does all this mean for us today? The format of your notes will be very simple. You could probably already fill in all the blanks today. But uh, here's the first thing that you'll notice in this verse. And that is this, Jesus grew up to be wise. As Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom. Jesus grew up to be wise. This is the first way that Luke says Jesus increased over these years. In verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom. If you're still in school, most of you are heading back to school this week. And I know I'm the bearer of bad news. (laughs) Sorry to be such a downer. I can identify with you, at least. I still have some schooling to complete as I work towards a master's degree, and I'm not looking forward to getting back in the swing of things. But the reason we're all heading back to school is to grow. It's to increase. And this is in knowledge. And hopefully, we'll increase in wisdom as well. You still have growing to do mentally. There are more things out there to learn. And you know what? Jesus can identify with you as well. Not in going back to school exactly, but in needing to grow mentally and knowledge and wisdom. In the first century in Galilee, Jesus likely didn't go to a formal school. Although he may have attended some classes in a local synagogue that would have helped him. But Jesus certainly had to learn many things in what we call the school of life, so to speak. The most basic definition of wisdom is the application of knowledge. So he had to grow in knowledge. And so that means knowing how to take what you know and apply it to your life. And how to do things in your life with it. Jesus as God as we said already, would have been naturally all-knowing and all-wise. He would have never needed to learn anything, ever. But Jesus, as a man, had to learn. He had to grow wise. So Jesus likely learned what all young people in Israel were learning at that time. How to count, how to read, how to write, how to speak, probably how to sing, how to work hard. He likely learned to trade, working in his father's carpenter shop, perhaps. He likely learned things about history or politics or economics and how they applied to his life. And he had to learn some street smarts, how to survive in first-century Israel. I'm sure, though, that Jesus especially grew in spiritual knowledge and heavenly wisdom, learning about God and about the law and about Israel's history from either his parents or the rabbis nearby. We actually saw Jesus developing this wisdom back in the story last time in the story of the temple. In verse 46, it says, After three days they found Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So he was learning, practically, about God and how to love him. When we studied James a few months ago, we talked about what heavenly wisdom looks like. And James told us that heavenly wisdom shows good works and meekness. And it says in James 3.17 that the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I've got a hunch that James got all that from watching Jesus' example of how to live wisely. The wisdom that Jesus developed, even from a young age, would prove invaluable in teaching and mentoring his disciples and his followers in all kinds of truths, and in responding wisely to each and every situation that came across his path, whether in the words that he said or the actions he took. And even though Jesus only lived to be 33 years old, the world has never seen a wiser man. He was the embodiment of true wisdom. So Jesus grew up to be wise, very wise. He also grew up physically. Jesus grew up physically as he got older, grew strong, mature. He grew up physically. And we see this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. In stature. When we hear, hear the word stature, we usually think of height. Okay, so we think of tall people around us, maybe Mike or Tom or Matthias or Ryan. Just think, these guys have great stature among us. But this doesn't mean necessarily that Jesus was a tall man. We don't know how tall Jesus was. He could have been short even. Imagine that in the picture books. Likely, Jesus was of average height. The word for stature can also refer to years, as in age. So Jesus increased in years. Basically, this term is used to say that Jesus grew up to be physically mature. He grew up, he became an adult, he got taller, he got stronger. He had to go through puberty. (laughs) His voice likely cracked and then changed to be deeper register. He likely had that day that he passed his mother in height was proud of that, or even past his father maybe. He probably had hair start to grow all over his body like most men. (laughs) Probably grew his first mustache or beard, and there's probably that day that he came home from a long day of work and stunk up the house with his youthful B.O. But (laughs) his muscles would have developed, gotten stronger. Now, you might think of all that and think that that's trivial, that Jesus had a physical body. But it's actually very important that Jesus had this. Arkent Hughes says that though Jesus was sinless, he had a real human body, mind, and emotions complete with their inherent weaknesses. This means that Jesus entirely shared in our humanity and yet remained sinless, which is why he could legitimately die. To pay the punishment for our physical sins. Jesus had real hands, real wrists, real feet, real ankles that one day would have nails driven through them. Jesus had real skin. And real muscles and real tendons, which one day would be torn apart by whips and thorns. Jesus had a real nervous system, with which one day he'd feel the agony of the cross. Jesus had real lungs that breathed in real oxygen, which would one day breathe their last breath at least for a while. Jesus had real blood flowing through his veins that one day would spill out freely to ransom us. Did you know that Jesus still has his physical body in heaven today? Sure, it's a glorified and resurrected body, but it's still a physical body. Jesus' human nature still lives in heaven to intercede for us before God's throne. Philip Reichen says this, that Jesus came to save us in the body. And to do this, he took on all the difficulties and possibilities of our physical existence. Everything Jesus did on earth, even in the way he grew up, displayed his love for us. Why did he come to earth? To save us from the sins that we committed, and from death. I need to ask you today. Has Jesus saved you from your sins before? Have you accepted his sacrifice for you? It's an open offer. He's waiting for you to respond with repentance of sins and believing in him. And nothing you can do can save yourself. Nothing. Only Jesus' blood can save you. If you'd like to come talk about this today with me, or I'd love to talk with you, or if you have questions, please come find me after the service. Don't put this off. It's eternally important. Jesus sacrificially became like you in order to make you like him. I want you to imagine a scene with Okay, imagine this scene. Now, this scene I know would have practically never happened for a few very good theological reasons, but I think it makes a good point of what it cost Jesus to come to earth. Okay, I want you to imagine God the Father and God the Son having a conversation in heaven before Jesus came to earth. Okay, God the Father comes to the Son and tells him, Son, you know all those people down on earth, those ones that have rebelled against us? Well, as you know, I love them, and I want to save them from that, from the doom that they brought upon themselves. Because I love them, I want to save them, but justice still has to be done. Those sins have to be paid for. So I've I've got this plan to send you to earth as one of them in order to take their punishment for them. You're the only one that can do this, but you have to go voluntarily. I'm not going to force you to do my will. And Jesus responds to the father and says, Father, I'll absolutely go to earth to carry out your will, because I love you and I love them deeply as well. But what would actually be involved in me becoming man? What would happen to me? What would would be involved in that? And I imagine the father saying, My son, there are things that your infinite mind cannot comprehend. You're not finite. You'll have to fully experience being human. And in order to do that, the divine powers you have now will have to be limited. I'll have to be in control of when and how you can use those powers. So think about this. You know that right now you can know everything there is to know in the universe. Well, once you're born on earth, you'll no longer be omniscient. You'll have to learn all kinds of things that right now you already know. You'll have to learn at the most base form. You'll have to learn how to babble and then talk as a baby. You'll have to learn to read and to write in only one language. Compared to now, you'll be absolutely and utterly stupid. Right now, you're a spirit, but you'll have to take on a physical body, which will constrain you to one physical location at a time. No more omnipresence. You'll have to be conceived by a woman, develop a body through a pregnancy, and be born in an unpleasant and painful process known as childbirth. The body you have will get fatigued and tired. You'll get hungry and thirsty few times a day, you'll even have to relieve yourself. That body will be tempted to sin against me, even by the devil himself. You'll be born weak, and you'll have to develop your strength like all humans do. No more omnipotence, except when I say Your body will feel pain, which is something you've never felt before. And you will actually have to experience death. Which will double as the most painful experience of your life on earth. And not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. The people that you go to earth to save and to love will end up murdering you. And in the midst of that, when you take humanity's sin upon yourself, even I'm going to have to reject you. After a long pause, imagine Jesus responding. So what you're saying is that in order to do this, I have to become utterly stupid I have to become completely immature. I have to become physically restrained. I have to become as weak as a human baby. I have to experience excruciating pain. I'll have to bear sin and actually become sin to pay for their sins and experience your rejection. Well, I love you. And I love them. You want me to and they need me to. When do I start? Sign me up. Can you even imagine? This verse start to take on a little bit of new light for you. Jesus, the Son of God, had to grow up like us. It's no wonder what Luke says was the final way Jesus developed over these years. First, he increased in wisdom, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. He increased physically, becoming a strong and capable adult. And the last one, Jesus increased in reputation in a very good way. Jesus grew up especially favored by God and man. As Jesus grew up, he developed quite the amazing reputation. He's highly esteemed and favored by both his father and his human peers. It says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He was favored by man first. This means that people liked him. They loved him. They respected him. They honored him. His reputation was stellar. People in Jesus' circle of influence had a very favorable perception of him as a man. And you might wonder, well, did Jesus actually care about this reputation as a human? I'd say probably not. as evidenced by the many times that he was okay with being reviled and hated and rejected by people. But as he sought to do his Father's will and sought to love everyone around him, a good reputation was a natural byproduct. His reputation would eventually change, as we all know, significantly. When his teachings began to rub some people the wrong way, He upset the status quo. People began to see him as a rabble-rouser and a troublemaker, even a heretic. But for the time being, as a young man, most everyone liked Jesus. And God the Father also had a favorable view of Jesus, much more importantly. God was deeply pleased with him. He loved Jesus, and Jesus was showing the Father love by doing his will on earth. The word for favor here could also be translated as grace. So God was filling Jesus' life with grace and favor and blessings, and this just kept increasing more and more each day. Now we need to ask, so this is how Jesus grew up. When in the world does this, all this mean for us today? Well, Jesus, as a man, was our perfect example. He's the standard that we are to live by. And we, as followers of Jesus, should seek to follow his example in every way in our lives. It should be a goal for us to grow in the same areas that Jesus grew in, no matter what stage of life we're in. But I'd say especially even... A larger goal would be for those of us who are in the same stage of development that he was. So if you're still in school, or still a young adult, or in the early stages of being in the workforce, you should especially pay close attention to this. How did Jesus grow up? And how might we emulate him? see, Jesus grew up extremely balanced, developing in many areas, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, socially. He didn't ignore growing spiritually in order to develop educationally. He knew it was important to take time to take care of his physical body, so he developed that. He didn't forsake learning new things, even though that would have been a challenge for him, as we've already talked about. We also saw last time in the verse right before this that Jesus willingly submitted to those in authority over him. Learning, growing, training, obeying. They're all part of growing up godly. Growing up like Jesus. So ask yourself today, am I becoming wise like Jesus became wise? Am I learning how to be a good employee, a good neighbor, a good citizen? Am I developing my mind in a constructive way? Am I studying responsibly in school in order to become the wisest I can be? Am I learning how to work hard to perhaps take care of a family one day? Ask yourself as well, am I becoming physically mature like Jesus? Am I looking after my body, maybe healthy eating or regular exercise or getting enough sleep? Am I looking after my emotional well-being? That could be equally important. Your body is nothing to be ashamed about. It's a tool to be used for good on earth. And in order to use it best, it has to be trained and honed and protected. As Paul says later, he says, bodily training is of some value. It is of some value. But he continues, but godliness is of value in every way. Building off that, the most important thing we need to ask today is, am I becoming godly like Jesus? Am I following his example to become godly? That's what led to his excellent reputation with God and men. And yet we ask, so am I developing godliness in my life? Am I developing good character? Am I developing a healthy relationship with my Heavenly Father? Am I... Growing to love God more, to love others around me more, practically. Am I learning to pray, to serve, to give, to worship, to study scripture, to share my faith? Am I becoming active in my church, learning to be a part of the body of Christ? Am I learning how to live life as a Christian in a world that is hostile towards Christ? Parents, we need to consider, are we raising our kids in this way? To be balanced like Jesus. Our schools are not going to give your kids everything they need. Are you training your kids to be godly? Praying with them and for them? Are you reading the Bible as a family at all? Teaching them to be wise through God's word? Maybe you need to sacrifice some of your time and get them to Sunday school or to youth. We need to set an example as godly parents of what it means to grow up to be like Jesus. But bigger than this, I'd say that the other way that Christ has set an example for us is the underlying character that he displayed here. As we've already discussed, Christ willingly limited himself out of his incredible love for us. He subjected himself to humanity and all its struggles and all its growing pains because he loved us. And then Jesus told his followers, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Are we loving one another in this way? With humility, lowering ourselves, are we gracious, forgiving, serving, generous? Are we willing to sacrifice for those around us? If the Holy Spirit has convicted you at all today. I challenge you to make sure you take action. Put down some action steps maybe on your notes that for you to take this week to get on track or to get back on track so that we can be on this path of growing to be like Jesus, which is an extremely worthy goal. And you know what's great? When we find it difficult to live as Jesus lived, we can pray to him for help. He understands because he's been there and done that. And he's waiting there with grace that never runs out. It, is, it would be impossible for us to live this way. It's impossible for us to live perfect lives like Jesus, to grow in a perfect way. But when we fall, there's grace. We don't want to take the incarnation, God becoming man, or anything that that entails for granted. Philip Reichen says again, these statements stagger the mind. If we sometimes take the incarnation for granted, it can only be because we have not wrestled with its full implications. What infinite condescension it was for God the Son to become a man with all the limitations of our humanity except for sin. This, too, is part of what he suffered for our sake. The way Jesus grew up displayed his humanity. The way Jesus grew up displayed his values in life. The way Jesus grew up displayed his incredible and growing wisdom. The way Jesus grew up, most importantly, displayed his great love for us and for his Father. Be grateful For these truths. Let them draw you to wonder and amazement. Let them draw you to overwhelming thankfulness. I want to leave you with this key thought. God's gracious favor was on Jesus in a special way in his life. We saw that. But I'd also say God's gracious favor is now on us because it was on Jesus. Jesus. God's gracious favor is now on us because it was on Jesus. Praise God. I want to finish up our service today with celebrating the love and the grace that God showed us by celebrating what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion in which we remember Jesus' sacrificial death for us. I'll invite the worship team and those who are serving communion up at this time. As we pass out the bread and the cup as symbols of Jesus' body and blood, take the time to meditate on what Jesus suffered for you and me. Remember the whip and the nails and the cross and the thorns and the spear. Think about the blood and the scars and the painful agony that Jesus went through. all to take away your sins and my sins. We must also remember that this is a celebration on this side of the empty tomb because Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later and still lives in heaven to intercede for us, offering new life to us every day. I read something about communion this morning I just want to read to you. This is from J.C. Ryle says this the simplest statement of the benefit which a true-hearted participant may expect to receive from the Lord's supper so the benefits that we receive from communion is the strengthening and refreshing of our souls clearer views of Christ and his atonement clearer views of all the offices which Christ fills as our mediator and advocate clearer views of the complete redemption Christ has obtained for us by his substituted death on the cross clearer views of our full and perfect acceptance in Christ before God, fresh reasons for deep repentance for sin, fresh reasons for lively faith. These are among the leading returns which a believer may confidently expect to get from attendance at the Lord's table. He who eats the bread and drinks the wine in a right spirit will find himself drawn closer into closer communion with Christ and will feel to know him more and understand him better. That's what we seek to do this morning, to celebrate Christ. So let's take the time to focus completely on Jesus, his love for us. If you've never accepted him as your savior, Savior, we do ask you to refrain from this at this time, but we implore you to accept him today. We'll sing as each of the elements are passed out, and then we'll partake together.